The following is an archived podcast presented by the Branson and Hudson Foundation for Podcast Recovery. This podcast is entitled Storytime, Talk of Tales for Tots. It is the first and only episode of the podcast. Welcome to episode one. Children's stories are pure imagination. A bright, sprightly version of humanity. <laughs> what if a dish ran off with a spoon? <laughs> Some people may call that dumb or lame or dumb or super fucking dumb. But to children's book writers, that's a great idea. Some people thought that a cow jumping over the moon was corny. But kids loved it. What if you lived in a world where different animals were constantly talking to each other? Hey, that's pretty cool. A lot of people may call it a waste of time, but guess what? They're not here right now. Just us children's book writers. My name is Gaston Silverton, and I am joined here today for story time. Talk of Tales for Tots. I am joined with my two co-hosts, both acclaimed children's book authors, PB Sandwich and Mason O'Hare. Guys, how are you doing? Fabulous. I'm doing uh, just as about as well as my last book, which is to say extremely good. I'm feeling like a New York Times children's number one bestseller. Ooh, tell me. How, how, how has that been going for you? I know you had big expectations for that book. If you want to yeah. you know, tell the readers what it's called, a little bit about it. Well, sure. See, a lot of people don't think that children are sophisticated enough to read the New York Times bestseller list to see which books are popular to then buy them books, those books for themselves. But I think children are actually quite smart when it comes down to it. And many of those children will see that my newest book, The Wacky Whippoorwill, who lived on Dizzle Dazzle Lane, is currently at number one. And they'll probably be like, oh, I'm going to look like an idiot in kindergarten if I don't read this and show up like well-prepared, you know? Well, you always know how kids are. People always think that, you know, kids don't care about the issues. Kids don't care about what's going on. You know, but really kids are kind of glued to that New York Times top 30 children's book uh, you know, bestsellers list. I mean, kids don't have, they have busy days. They have to go to school nearly every day. So if they're going to read something, they want to make sure it's good, you know? I like to think that many adults think we have to educate children. We have to teach them. But more often than not, they're the ones that teach us. Yeah, I mean, just the other day, you know, I have a four-year-old. And my four-year-old, you know, he was already, you know, he knows all the remotes. He was showing me, you know, how to log in to, you know, HBO Max, to Hulu, to Netflix. You know, these are my kids that are, you know, teaching me this stuff. I didn't even know how to use my toaster. And my four-year-old's showing me how to get different settings of toast. Kids are a lot smarter than we give them yeah, credit that, for, that's a great point. Where There's so many adults I talk to who tell me that children are insanely stupid. And that they don't know how to drive or like drink a beer or any of this right stuff, cursive. You know? yeah, yeah. It turns out actually that they're a little bit smarter than we think. You got to give them a little credit. I mean, my four year old is, you know, constantly changing the pow- password on our Wi Fi router, you know, to the point where, you know, I'm even a, a little intimidated of the I guy, know. you know? When I was a kid, I remember, and I remember reading books. I mean, this is kind of when I really wanted to become an author for children's books is all the books talked about children just wanting to um, make uh, a a nickel so they could buy candy. Um, It talked about like how a bear just wanted to eat cookie or cupcake. And now they're about, they're about like 
children watching C-SPAN or something crazy like that. And it's we have to find this weird buffer zone as authors to kind of um, address that kind of demographic now. Yeah, I mean, I, I completely agree. These kids, uh, you know, they know a lot more than we give them credit for, you know. Uh, you know, when I was so dumb when I was a kid that I just called children's books books. And now I'm grown more better and I know how to write more better words and stuff. And I know which books are for kids and which ones aren't for them. So I feel like I've made huge strides since I was a boy. And, uh, you know, to kind of give back by writing my own children's book, you know, to give back to the idea of, like, childhood. You know, I find it very rewarding. You know, I, I feel like maybe we we got started here, you know, a little hot going into everything. Uh, uh, if we want to maybe dial it back a little bit, let's talk a little bit about how we kind of uh, got into it. Would you guys be down for that, how we got into writing children's literature? Oh, sure. Now, I don't like to talk about myself too much, but since we're here and we're trying to give a little bit of a background of ourselves and a bit of the process of how this whole thing comes to fruition, I will say I didn't always want to be a children's author. When I was about four years old, I wanted to be a businessman. Oh, wow. And then I, I read a very incredible book. Which was? I don't remember. Oh. <laughs> I was four. But I remember saying, I could do this. I could write books like this. And I was only four years old, and I knew I could. And I do now, which is, I think, a bit... I don't want to say I'm, I have like you know the ability of premonition or something like that, but I think I made my own fate, which I think many people can't do, or they think they can't do it, but they can well, it's very impressive. It sounds very I know. impressive. You know, I have I had sort of a similar uh, trajectory where I mean, I I got into books at a very young age. Like I must have been only like four or five when I started reading books for babies. You know, um, and <laughs> I, uh, I I really found a lot of of wisdom in those pages. And as I got older, I continued to have a love for reading. You know, once I got into adult literature, like Harry Potter. Or uh, that kid who wears underwear, who's like a superhero or whatever. And as I got older, I was like, maybe I should try to write books like these. But it turned out it was very hard to write like 700 pages of a Harry Potter book. It took an extraordinarily long time. So I realized instead of writing harder, why not write smarter? You know, like Stephen King's always talking about writing 2,000 words a day. If I'm a children's author, I can write 20 words a day, and it's like the equivalent, and it's way easier. That takes much more skill. Think about this. Um, A children's book usually has like a moral message or a lesson in it, right? How do you get all of that within just a few sentences? It's very hard to like trim all that fat because you're not just trimming fat. You're trimming off meat, and you're trying to shape it into something that's that's gonna uh, satisfy the 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 erudite craving that little right. little baby boys and girls crave, and like, it's it, it requires an amount of scale oh, that we possess. Very crave. What what fool among erudite. us would claim that throwing a big fish on a plate is as sophisticated as putting a one bite of sushi on a plate? Right. That's kind of what we're discussing here. You know, I kind of have the opposite experience as you two guys had where it really wasn't so much about what my interests were 
as much as it, you know, what I was able to do kind of, you know, cause as a kid, I couldn't really play sports, you know, I, I wasn't good at them. I couldn't throw the ball and I couldn't catch the ball and running was hard. And then, you know, when I get to school and math, it doesn't, I don't, I can't, I have a condition where I can't really understand numbers. I don't know if it's named. It's just like you say a three or a seven to me. I'm like, you know, whatever you get to high school. Right. And then, you know, you're not kind of good at any of that stuff. And I started thinking, you know, what am I going to do, you know, to survive out there? You know, I can't do manual labor. I have uh, very, very soft hands and, you know, any kind of, you know, if I touch even paper, I do most of my writing on the computer because I even, it's just going to, oh, I love the computer. But, you know, I kind of had to figure out like, okay, well, this seems to be, you know, the only thing I can do. I don't know. I don't have a mind for business. I don't have a mind for this. And I think I just, you know, I kind of just, I had to be a children's book author. People always like comedians always joke, you know, you know, if I wasn't doing this, I don't know what I'd be doing, but I really don't know what I'd be doing. I don't think I can do anything else like physically or emotionally. Well, don't sell yourself short. Cause this isn't easy. Like most people couldn't do what we're doing. Oh yeah. It's just, it's just one of those things that I just can do. I guess I'm like, I a, find uh, it to a, be, a I find it to be very easy for me personally to do it, but I get where you're coming from. Um, PB, most people couldn't do this and it wouldn't be easy for them. But for us, it is the easiest thing to do. Well, it's still quite hard. You know, well, I, I still find it quite it's hard. Quite easy, I find for me to do. I mean, do. often uh, when I'm even devising a story, right? Uh, I, you know, I have trouble. Sometimes it'll take me six, seven months, you know, to think of an animal. Uh, like, um, what's that one? Um, it's it's a furry. Uh, four legs, big. It has kind of like the head like a dog, but it's, it's got I think rounded you're ears. Of a cat. No, it doesn't have a tail, and it lives in the woods, and it can be brown. Well, any animal could live in the woods if it just has enough tenacity to find some. But berries. it's not like a bird what about or a, a dinosaur that lives in the woods. Oh mm, my god! There's think a book outside right the there. box. Yeah. Well, hold wait, hold on a second. What's a, a dinosaur? That's like um, what is a that? massive lizard? Of prehistoric it's like a dinosaur times. is like a furless bear. Oh my god, a massive lizard! That's such a crazy imagination. Kids will love that. I know. Yeah, but like uh, I, you know, I, I the one thing I've realized from meeting other children's book authors is, uh, you know, other other than you know, we sure like our wine in the evenings. Uh, uh, you know, uh, completely from all different walks of life. Just, just, just completely. You know, all, all over the place. You know, you when it comes people... to this animal, like this, this kind of thing we were just getting at here about talking about how you come up with certain animals and everything. Sometimes you can find the right animal for your story purely by accident. Like when I wrote my story, the unsavory silliness of Sally Stubel, the salt cod. Um, I was under the impression that there was just cod fish who are naturally salted and lived in Salt Lake water with a layer of salt caked on them. And then people pointed out to me that's not real. And I said, well, I used my imagination to make it up and I kind of saved face. And I think the story was actually much better because of that. Right. right. And, and that's a fish? Yeah, it's a fish that's covered in salt. 
Now, they can't talk. Did you have your fish talk in the story? Oh, yeah. I mean, what would they do? That's crazy. How would there be How'd words in the story if the fish wasn't talking? I mean, just like, I, I'm like a student of, of it, and I'm trying to think like, you know, obviously fish don't talk. Um, a cow couldn't jump over the moon. Um, you know, a dish would not run off with a spoon. You know, you know, maybe if the fork was you know doing something unsavory, but uh, regardless, uh, these things don't happen. So what you're saying is purely ridiculous. How do you come up with what these animals and objects do? Um, I kind of think about stuff humans do. Oh, that's interesting. You don't think about like because when I'm writing dogs, I'll think about you know, you know, a barking, um, going to the bathroom eating dog food. These are all things that dogs do, but those are also things that people do. Yeah, see, I, that's good. I get a lot of it from my own life because when I wrote my book, Goodnight Moon, it came about because right when I go to bed, I always say, Goodnight Moon. And I was like, what if that was a book? Then I wrote the whole thing and the publisher turned it down because apparently someone had already done it before. But it's still a good example of how to come up with a new idea. I mean, that's a good point. But also I'm thinking like, okay, Gaston, uh, picture this. I'm going to give you a book idea right now. Should I close my eyes? Oh, I mean, I think it helps. Certainly. Okay. That th- if I have questions, should I just interrupt you? Little, little, uh, quick tip for the listeners. Little hot tip, secret advice from us to you: close your eyes. It's a little bit of a switch for the imagination. Turns it on, you know. Um, what about a book? And even the title says it all: the platypus and his wine. Oh, and it's about okay. a little platypus who loves to drink his wine on the bank of the river until one day the main fox wants to take his wine and uh, the whole forest supports him. And then it turns out the fox just wanted a friend to drink wine with and they all share wine together. And then the fox's uh, mom says, oh, foxes are only allowed to drink white wine because that's our cultural history here. And then the platypus says, actually, we can drink red wine together, too. And that's fine because all animals are allowed to do whatever they want. Now, I know that foxes can't talk because they're like little red dogs. But a platypus, now that's talks in real life. So I, I think you have kind of maybe an issue with your imagination. It's not you can do whatever you want with imagination. Like a platypus can talk. It can have a job in New York City in your okay. imagination. Okay. You can have but the in platypus life, and his if taxi. A, if a platypus tried to get a job in New York City in real life, it would get arrested immediately. But that's kind of where we come in with the imagination. We're trying to th- oh, we're trying okay. to tell kids, even if you're a platypus, you could become a a a you know financial advisor on Wall Street, you know? Right, and the message is to, that kids can become a platypus. No, we're saying if a kid is weird, like a weird, ugly kid, like a platypus is weird. It's a weird creature. It shouldn't exist. Because it talks? It doesn't talk. PB, do you want to try to... Well, it doesn't really matter whether it talks, because it's more important that it's ugly and stupid, just like a lot of children who need to hear the message that it doesn't matter how stupid and ugly they are, even though that's how they are, you know? Right, right. So... I no, I, I I I get it. So you came up, you made up an animal, and like, I David didn't make it up. Man, it's the, not made up. It's it's one of the like I think two mammals that lays eggs. Is, is that right? It has a duck bill. It's a, has a tail like a beaver. It lays, it lays eggs. The other one is humans, right? The other one is the humble echidna, much like uh, Knuckles from the popular video game series Sonic the Hedgehog. Now these are like Lord of the Rings. 
So why don't we move on to maybe our writing process? I think we're kind of into it right now, right? Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm just I'm really trying to pick your guys. So brains. what I, I do is I have this secret office in the city, right? My wife doesn't know where it is. I pay for it in cash. It's kind of my space where I go to just let my imagination run wild. Sometimes I'll have a friend over. Uh, and we'll just do little things to just get my creative juices flowing. And, you know, after about like a week or two weeks of me hanging out in my secret place, um, I'll take about a year off from writing and then I'll write the book. Well, Mason, you mentioned that you kind of like to unwind and hang out to get in the zone. But uh, that reminds me how you and me sometimes like to go to our favorite brewery, Pint and Penance. And this is a, such a great place to kind of get your creative juices flowing because they have blocks you can play with and Tonka trucks. And oh, yeah. We like, we like to, to just go there. Blocks. We do like a little, we, I bring a little tincture, like an eyedropper, and I do a little eyedropper of ketamine in both of our beers. And we just play blocks for like seven hours. Yeah. And the, and the bartender will walk up and be like, you guys need another round? And then we'll just smash our Tonka truck into the blocks and send them flying everywhere. And the bartender just kind of laughs jovially because he knows that we're such creative writers and uh, we need this release to come up with our next idea. This city's definitely come a long way in like kind of allowing these spaces for people like us to kind of uh, work because it is work. That's what we're there for to do. Um, people say, no, you're just playing blocks. And it's like, well, what do you do at work? It's part of the process. And people will say, well, I I have to sit at a desk all day and sit on the computer. I'm like, well, that's playing too. Like clicking around the computer, that's just playing. That's fun. Also, what's on the the blocks? What's on the blocks? Letters. The same letters that we use to write our books. Often my four-year-old Winston, you know, he's so wise. He'll ask me stuff like, you know, why, you know, does mom go to work and you, you you know, sit on the computer all day. And also you got a nanny to keep us away from you when you sit on the computer all day. But every time I see you on the computer, you're just watching Shacked and a Fool. And I say it's all part of the process. The creative process can't How be, old is your nanny? You know, huh? How old is your nanny? I mean, she's legal. Well, I, I guess my question, I mean, if I were to have kids, I don't have them yet. But if I were to have them, I definitely want a nanny. And I'm just thinking, like, what's the golden, like, you know, what's the kind of the sweet zone for age of a nanny? Well, when like, they're younger, they look better, but you also can pay them less, right? Mm. You know, because I'm busy all day. You know, I'm I'm thinking of this stuff. I come out with a book every two years. Like, I'm 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 working, you know, and I don't want any kids bothering me. I don't want any of their yeah, questions. Yeah, and you got your publisher crazy. Uh, breathing down your neck you know, like, if, I need five more words by end of day. Yeah, you know? and, and I'm just like, oh, man, dog, cat, yarn. What's crazy is what rhymes with people. Box, some people think that we illustrate our books, too. It's like, are you nuts? That would take like twice no. the amount of work. <laughs> that takes so long. I can't draw. You know, I tell people what to draw. And, you know, I, I have to give, like, really good details to, to a lot of the illustrators, too. You'll be like, okay, well, this dog has to be very, 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 very cute. And then they'll draw a cute dog. And somebody will be like, the art's amazing. That's like, I told them to draw that, by the way. Like, that's all me. I mean, I've know? had a lot of problems, though. Like, like you're lucky that you wanted a cute dog. But when I wrote the indubitably dubious deeds of Diggler D. Bunny Rabbit, this is a dubious rabbit and he needs to look nefarious, but they made him entirely too cute. It was, it was just absolutely decimating to me. Oh, 
Why would you want to make a like a mean-looking rabbit, like an evil-looking rabbit? Well, to show kids that the rabbit was evil and that you don't want to be like him. Well, but can ra- are rabbits evil? This one was. He was going into the farmer's carrot patch and eating all the carrots, and he didn't pay anything for them. And what would his punishment be? Like, uh... Well, the farmer shot him at the end. Oh, my God. But it was okay because the farmer it, was the good guy. Is he okay? No, he's well he after died the instantly. after. Okay, but like after the book, is he okay? No, he's dead. But the problem was the author made or the uh, illustrator made him too cute, and so the kids got mad about it. Even though I made it very but clear, did he, he have was like evil. a funeral? Did you go to the funeral? No, he just felt he his bones just went into the ground right there in the carrot patch. No one ever picked him up. He just disintegrated. You know. Oh my god, that's that's so sad. Well, you wouldn't be saying that if he was as I, ugly why, as he was supposed why, to be. That's why I never have any of my characters die because, like, what if, like, that's permanent? Like, they can't come back? And also because, like, do they die in real life if you, like, write about them? Well, I don't think they usually exist in real life unless it was based on a true story. But, like, when you imagine something and you imagine that, like, they lived in a different place, like, how do you know that's not... Like, well, I guess there's true. always a chance. Do you know like, what I'm saying? What if if there's infinite yeah, like, like multiverses and everything? Then yeah, maybe it actually is happening somewhere. But I don't think you have any ability to affect it. I mean, that's that sounds like what Winston told me, but I I just don't I just really don't buy it. You know? Well, I kind of yeah. Every once in a while, I need his help with something, so I'll like shoo the nanny away and be like, okay, how do I save this file? How do I send something on WeTransfer? What you know? He helps me remember names, dates. Well, like you know, it's it's it, it's a lot more complicated than I think. You know, it's given. PB, where do you oh, like? PB, where do you like to write? Well, well, me, we were. Just, I know you. Uh, I know you. You go to Chuck E. Cheese all the time, but I don't know if you work there. Yeah. Well, they won't let me into Chuck E. Cheese without um, a child, and I don't have any children. So, if I can wrangle one from from a friend, you know, claim I'm gonna take them to you know be like their babysitter for the day. Sometimes I can get into a Chuck E. Cheese. Oh, give them like a hundred dollars. It's fine. Tell him to go play games and, you know. Yeah, well, I'd rather spend that money on fun stuff, though. But Oh, like pizza. Um, You know, we were, we were just discussing all these stories. They're sort of based on animals and all of that. But I do occasionally write stories that are a little bit more based on the truth, you know. Like um, my, my more recent story, P.D. Peebles, the Pee-wee Paralegal. Uh, it was loosely based on my own life. It's a lo- about a little boy who steals a car and <laughs> runs over a beloved local grandma, killing her instantly. And did you bring boy, that story with you today? Um, no, this is you'll have to buy this one. This one came out about a year ago. Oh, but um, okay. basically, the judge is about to sentence the boy, but since he's a little boy, he doesn't want to sentence him for murder. So instead, he sentences him to become the lawyer's paralegal to stay out of trouble and to learn the law firsthand. So that's how P.D. Peebles kind of became a Pee-wee paralegal. And that didn't exactly happen to me, but the part about stealing the car and hitting the grandma did. So I kind of found this way to turn my own life into something a little more exciting and flavorful. Now, you're still a paralegal? No, I never became a paralegal. I'm saying just the part with the car happened to me. So who's the boy you wrote about? Well, he's fake, but it's based on a true story. So what happened to him after the story? Well, nothing. He just ceased to exist, I guess, because the story ended. And is that normal? Is that normal? Is that how most of your stories go? After you're done, they just kind of, like, they disappear? Well, yeah, or? unless you open to the first page again, then they begin anew. Well, what about you, Mason? Do your characters, like, what it, what, like, when I close the, like, 
Okay, so hypothetical. I'm reading one of your stories. I close the book. I go to bed. Where are they? Uh, they're in the book. <clears throat> they're still in the book. I promise. So I know that when I open it, they'll be there, right? But like, it's the same thing. So you how know do what I'm you know? Well, where do you go when you sleep? Do you know if you're asleep? Do you know if you go somewhere else? How do you know? Well, I'm in bed. How? I wake up in bed. Yeah, but how do you know you don't leave? Unless I fall asleep in the beanbag chair a lot. You know, and then usually Winston wakes me up. He tells me, you know, you stink. You have to take a shower. I made you eggs, you know, stuff like that. But when I sleep, yeah, I think it's just like, well, it's nighttime usually, if that answers it. So maybe the characters in the book are also asleep. I mean, maybe. Yeah. I mean, I can't say with any certainty, but yeah. I they mean, don't know sounds- if you're asleep because they're asleep. You don't know if they're asleep because you're asleep. And it doesn't matter because when you wake up, they're there and they're there to be there. Does that make sense? Uh, Why don't we get to one of our stories? We brought some books here today that we've all written. Um, Some of them are a bit older, I understand. Some are a bit newer. But I think it's kind of special that we're reading these books for free on our first episode. Oh, yeah. Because, you know, this is going to be a thing. And it's very interesting to me because, you know, most of the, you know, it's probably very few children will be listening to this, you know. And it'll be mostly adults. So we're just reading our stories to adults. And then they'll read it to their kids. Or maybe they can gather their kids around. I'm not sure exactly how it works. Or how long like a podcast lasts for. But I think it'll work, right? If we just if yeah. we just read if them. If we each read a couple of our books. I mean, these books have like a $15 value each. This podcast is worth like 75 bucks at least. And it's I free. mean, they'll have to do... They'll have to draw it on their own, I imagine. You can't see... they Now, there's no... way. There, it's just audio. I don't think vid- video you can see illustrations, right? Should I just go ahead and read? Yeah, uh, why, why don't we hear something uh, here? Why don't we just, um, yeah, let the work speak for itself, you know? All right. Uh, this is, uh, I'm going to read a story here that I wrote two years ago. It was, uh, uh, you know, uh, yeah, I just recently, you know, six months ago, finished another one. But this one, you know, I worked on about two year- two and a half years ago. Uh, This is called Buggy Johnson's Very Long and Very Sharp Toenails. When Buggy Johnson woke up in bed, his bed sheets were all torn to shreds. How did this happen while I was sleeping along? Am I somehow sleeping all wrong? No, it seems. The culprit was his feet, with long, sharp toenails cutting up his sheets. Disgusting! Crude! Buggy yelled at his toes, and he cried in bed because of his woes. Then he burst out of bed and found some nail clippers and tried to cut them before they got any bigger. But the nails were too strong, and the clippers shattered. And as they hit the floor in pieces, they all clattered. His mother came running in and said, Buggy, what's wrong? I tried to cut my nails, but they are far too strong. Well, why would you want to cut your beautiful nails? Well, because they cut my sheets to tatters like sails. Oh, honey, Buggy's mother said, that's just nature, and you're growing up, just like growing Rodney hair and girls getting D cups. Life is beautiful, and your toenails are perfect. You are a cherub, and your nails should be left unchecked. You should never, ever yell at someone for long toenails, especially an adult. Because it's the same thing as being sexist, racist, or giving an insult. Long, beautiful toes that cut you is not assault, because I am just me. If you get hurt by them, it's your fault. 
Every toenail is beautiful. Wow, that one had a really powerful message. I think that's something we haven't discussed enough in this program. Like you gotta, oh, yeah. I mean, I wanted, I wanted kids with long, sharp toenails that you know they don't want to or can't cut them that they shouldn't have to cut them. That if you have long toenails, you know, it you should just leave the person alone if they have them and if they don't want to cut them. Maybe they don't know how to cut them. Maybe they tried to cut them but they broke. You know, we should just be nicer to people with long toenails. That's just kind of what I was saying. Yeah, I think a lot, there's a lot of people out there who can appreciate you raising awareness of this and sort of normalizing it in society. Um, I mean, I hope it's normal so no one yells at me. Mason, Mason, point. do you have a story you'd like to share? Uh, yeah, I have a few, uh, but we'll get to all of them in time. I think I'll read this one first. This one is called The Little New Yorker. There once was a little New Yorker. He was sad because he had nothing to read. Then one day, he saw someone reading a newspaper. But the contents of the paper were too low culture for the little New Yorker. What shall I do? he cried. Then suddenly, he had an idea. I got it. I'll start my own publication. It will be full of culture and stories and essays. And the bundle will be a steal at only $169.99 a year. The magazine was a hit. And soon, all the other little New Yorkers were reading it. And everyone knew that the world was a better place now that it could get all of its culture from one source. The end. So that's who that magazine's named after. Is that a true story? I didn't know the New Yorker was a was, was a person's name. Well, it's it's not his name. It's kind of based on the people who started the New Yorker. Oh, it's like an amalgamation. I'm, of I'm all hoping the that authors. they that they publish it in the New Yorker. Oh, in the children's section. Yes. No, I I mean I think it's I think it's it's beautiful. And when you when you have a story, especially set in New York, right? That not only, you know, kids in New York are going to read it and go, oh, you know, that's me. Kids that are not in New York will be like, oh, now I know what New York is yeah. like. I finally get all the context in Seinfeld. I actually kind of felt like New York itself was a character in that story. I definitely feel like New York was a character in the story. Uh, I think it's more about the magazine as a character, but I'm not. Well, I'm I not think they're both kind of characters and they're playing off each other. Now New York when the what happens to New York when the story's over? New York doesn't go anywhere. It's always been there. Okay. So it's like like if you went there would you meet the boy? What boy? The boy who made the New Yorker? Sorry if that's a dumb question. Well, I think that um, boy was invented for the story. Okay, Correct. it's an invent And how do you invent a boy? Uh, you just think of one. Like, I had a kid, but that was just because, you know, I did the thing. You know the thing. And I stayed in. So that's how I got my So I know that. Like, I know how you have a kid. But, like, how did you come up with a kid for the story? Like, did you not, did you do the thing and not, like, did you finish or did you? What? Where'd the boy come from? Uh, my brain. my My mind. Not Your literally, imagination. figuratively. Just, uh, just okay. I what is figurative? Think about what is figurative. Were you a mean? child once? 
I mean, I have pictures of it. Yeah. Like I, I remember, like I wore clothes that like wouldn't even fit now. You know what I mean? So imagine you when you're that small as a child. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I'm a man. Okay, I'm a so boy. So now imagine I'm, that boy. I'm smaller. Uh, imagine clothes. that boy is the little New Yorker. There you have it. You just made a boy. Okay. No, I'm I'm a man. I get it completely. There's a boy in my head. No. Okay. No, I get it. And so, when do I? What happens when I stop thinking about him? Um, he he'll be there, just waiting for you to think about him again. He's kind of in your inventory. Oh, that's a relief. I was like trying to think about him as much as I could, so I wouldn't stop thinking about him because I didn't know what would happen if he if he did the thing. No, I'm all caught up. Sorry, sorry, sorry if it was a stupid question. Well, it was like, a stupid I, question, especially coming from a children's book author. But you know what? There's no stupid questions, only stupid people. Well, I just. I get it now, and I'm not like a dumb guy. I'm normal guy. You know what I mean? Okay. Well, uh, maybe you'd indulge me and allow me to read a little story here. Oh, please do. You know, at the, at the beginning of this program, we were talking about how kids are a lot smarter than we tend to think. And this is one that I wrote a few years ago that has kind of an important message that it's kind of like a Pixar movie where I think adults are going to get something from this and children are going to get something from it, you know? This one is called... The Little Boy Who Became Trump by P.B. Sandwich. Once upon a very recent time, there was a school, and most of the little kids there were very cool. There were human kids and donkeys too. The donkeys were good with virtue true. Some of the students were elephants there. That might sound fun, but please beware. The elephants were actually quite bad indeed and supported doing all kinds of misdeeds. One little boy believed that the elephants were okay. He decided to become their leader one day. He gave a speech saying donkeys were bad. He riled up the elephants and made them all mad. He riled up puppies. He riled up eagles. He even riled up beagles and seagulls. Then one little girl stood up so regal and said to the boy, No person is illegal. All the good guys clapped at this gesture. For she pointed out that the boy was a jester. Instead of letting his followers' bad feelings fester, she taught them how to be doctors and investors. Now everyone was sharing in the prosperity, thanks to this little girl's moral clarity. No longer was there any classroom disparity. All it took was a little truth and sincerity. She had made them immune to all his artillery, and that little girl's name was Hillary. And uh, and so okay, I I I know that you guys are probably sick of uh me, you know, kind of asking questions about it. I get that one and that and that uh they were made up people. Yeah, except well, this was a little bit more complicated. Maybe you could have um a child explain it to you. But um they're made up people and yet they kind of stand in for real political figures. Okay. Sorry. Hold on a second. My nose is bleeding real quick. Hold on. And so this is a different one than the, than his books. So basically this one is about how Donald Trump is bad. And if you're a kid and he's in your class, he's a bad guy and you should stand up against him in your class. Well, that, that raises an interesting point, you know, and and kind of similar to my, my toenail story, you know, we're both kind of activists in a way where you're against like a, uh, Donald Trump and I'm against like you know people yelling at me about my toenails. But how much 
of a responsibility to help others or to kind of tell children what to think does a children's book author have? Because, you know, if you look at a lot of the most popular children's books, it's about like, okay, well, you know, this is okay. This is not okay. You know, uh, you know, it's okay to like, you know, chew gum loud and it's okay to have like curly hair and it's okay to have like back hair or whatever, you know, stuff's okay. Is it our job to tell kids what to think in the future? And if so, should we get paid more for what we do? Yeah, well, the reason that kids are so smart is that authors like us make them smart by telling them what to think, especially when it comes to things like We politics. plant the so, seed very early on. Yeah, we got to get them started young. Okay, and the seed is? It's like an um, idea, basically. It's an like a, idea, meta- a, a metaphor, a for lesson. Oh, like the platypus. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. All right, I'm up to speed, so I know everything that's happening right now. You know, just if you guys were wondering. Okay, that's good. Um, well, uh, who wants to read another one? My next story that I brought, um, I think, is a little bit more straightforward and easier for uh, Gaston to understand. But, I mean, it's for children, so he doesn't have to understand it. As long as they understand it, it's fine. They'll get it. You know, you, you they'll get it. So this one is called One Girlfriend, Two Girlfriends, Three Girlfriends, Oh My. One day, there was a man named Steve who loved his girlfriend. He liked to take her on dates for ice cream and a ride in the rowboat. Steve liked having a girlfriend so much. Why didn't I do this sooner? He said. Because Steve was so happy and feeling so good, he decided to get another girlfriend. This girlfriend, he liked to take to pick fruit and swim at the beach. It was so fun for Steve to be with two women at once. Wow, my life is amazing now, Steve called out. I should get another girlfriend. This time, Steve took his third new girlfriend to the movies and to a baseball game too. This is really the funnest time I've ever had, Steve shouted. But one day, the girlfriends found out about each other, and because of jealousy, their hearts became evil. (laughs) The girlfriends teamed up to try and ruin Steve's (laughs) fun life. Oh, why does the worst thing in the world always happen to me? I just want to have fun with my pretty girlfriends. Then, all of a sudden, an angel appeared. Mystical greetings, Steve. Be not afraid, the angel sang. Steve started to dance like crazy because he knew it would be all okay. (laughs) The angel made all of Steve's girlfriends forget any of it happened, so Steve was able to start over and date them all once more. He even might date some other new girlfriends too. It was truly a miracle. The end. Wow, that was amazing. I like that he learned a lesson and got to do whatever he wants. And probably that angel just keep coming back every time to keep wiping their memory. He'll have fun forever. What? Oh, yeah. That sounds super fun. And I think it's like cool how like the message is that it's cool. You know, a lot of girlfriends will tell you stuff and you're like, that's just coming from like the girlfriend perspective. And sometimes you want a like a fun guy's perspective. I think on that it, you the know, story instead. that I was trying to tell children and people, I mean, even the parents reading it to them, if the kid is like one years old and can't read yet, 
um, like they can at two years old. Uh, be yourself and have fun. Forget what the haters say. Just be yourself. Point. There's a lot of one-year-olds who forget to be themselves, especially in today's society with all of the Instagram and TikTok and stuff. You know, kids are so worried about force. how many Instagram followers they have. You know, it's five, six years. You old. see these one-year-olds about- doing these like elaborate dances on these apps. That's like, what is going on? It used to be about Goo Goo Gaga and blocks, and now they're all trying to like get spray tans. Now it's and, all like, about. It used to be fillers. about Goo Goo Gaga and blocks, and now it's all about Google and blockchains. And it's just wow, exactly like right. Even Although think. blockchain is a is a good thing, but it's not. You know, this is when I was a kid. I I, I kept that binky going till seventeen, sixteen years old. You know, kids these days are done with the binky. You know, my four year old doesn't even. He won't even call it a binky. He calls it a pacifier. I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about? And he's like, it's a bi- It's you know, you call it a binky, but its real name is pacifier. And it's like, I just learned something today. You know, but kids aren't really, you know, going at the binky. And, you know, kids are more advanced than ever. I didn't start talking until I was 12, 13 years old. It really surprises you know? me to hear that about you. Yeah. And, and like, I just didn't know what was going on. So I just kind of got through every. I just kind of smiled and everyone seemed to like that, you know. And I kind of want to do the same thing, you know, in, in, my, in my work. It's kind of what I'm doing right now. Well, why don't you uh, show us a little bit more of your work and let the readers, or the listeners, I'm sorry, the readers, my good, uh, I mean, there's the readers too, I suppose. Well, when they read it, they'll be readers. You know, when they're listening to it, Yeah, that's what I it, just said. Listeners. I know. Right. No, I was just saying well, that what I, if I, maybe someone transcribed Like, I know this. things. I'm saying that I know things. I know how things work. I understand like the mechanics of things. If someone transcribed this though, and then started to read it, they would actually be readers. So it's probably safer to say readers and listeners right now. Well, I'm just going to get started before I get too confused and I get another nosebleed. So this is um, a big one is coming out. Uh, It came out six months ago. Um, Still hoping to get more sales on it. Uh, If anybody listening likes it, go, go ahead and look it up. This is called the dog who didn't want to get a job. What's it about? I'm sorry. Go ahead. Once upon a time, there was a very fluffy little dog. While all the other little dogs would play and fetch toys and bark, this little dog just liked to lay around. He liked to lay around because his fluffy fur was super comfortable and warm. One day, his owner, Mr. Brown, woke up the fluffy little dog. He said, fluffy little dog, get up and run around. There's plenty of things to do. Like what, said the fluffy little dog. I'm very comfortable right now. I don't want to turn over. I'm laying in the perfect sun spot. You better have something really good for me or I'm staying right here. Well, Mr. Brown said, we could go into the yard and play with a ball. It would get my fur dirty. I wouldn't like that at all. We could go to the park and take a long walk. I don't want to do that. What do I look like? Some jock? Well, let's go to the beach and let the sun shine. I'd rather stay at home in bed and drink all my wine. Let's go to the groomers and clean up your mane. I'd rather stay in bed and drink my champagne. Well, you can't sit around and do nothing your whole life. How will you get a job, a career, or a wife? If I ever have those, stab me with a knife. All those things sound like nothing but strife. That's it, little dog. 
You need some direction. You just sit around all day getting yeast infections. No way, said the dog. I don't want any reflection. I just want to live a fun life with no introspection. Eating cookies, candies, gumdrops, and cakes, getting blasted on wine and staying up late. I want to watch YouTube videos in bed and play with my worm, blasting loads on my stomach and forget to wipe the sperm. (laughs) This is my greatest desire on God's green earth, to do nothing in life after my birth. With that said, the little dog went back to sleep as poor Mr. Brown simply stared at his feet. My lazy little dog does sure have some quirks, but how do I tell him to get a job without being a jerk? I don't want my little dog to grow into a porker. There just aren't enough jobs as opinion columnists at the New Yorker. If only there was a job where you had to do no work. But what job could have such a wonderful perk? Mr. Brown thought long and hard while the little dog slept. How could he tell his little dog that he would have to get a job to survive? Suddenly, he had an idea and burst to his feet. He gathered some paper and some pens and some ink. He worked busy into the night as the dog lay to sleep, so still and polite. The dog was so cozy that in his dreams, he had a good dream, where he was having a good dream while he was sleeping. He dreamed of free wine, Xbox Game Pass, full-length feature film pornos, and microwavable meals. The lazy little dog finally woke up, and it was late in the evening. Wake up, sleepyhead, said Mr. Brown. Huh, said the lazy little dog, rubbing his eyes. Rise and shine, little dog. I figured out how we can both get what we want. Forget it, said the little dog. I'm not going to get a job. But what if I told you you could have a job where you don't have to work? Huh? The little dog said, amazed. Mr. Brown handed the little dog some paper, some pens, and some markers. What's this, said the little dog. If you want to have a job where you don't have to work, just be a children's book author. It's basically money laundering because the kids never get to choose the books they read anyway, so it doesn't matter what's in them. Parents just buy stuff with different moral messages because they're afraid to talk to their children, and they just hope they gloss some stuff off of other people's stuff. Oh, wow, said the happy little dog. And so, the lazy little dog became a children's book writer. He wrote four books over 15 years, and each book was 30 words long. The little dog became a great big fat old dog who was just as lazy as he was now, and he ate good food for his entire life, and he watched funny shows, and he laughed and laughed and laughed, and he drank as much wine as he wanted, and no one ever yelled at him or told him what to do again. The end. You know... We talked about how kids are more mature than you think, but there's a couple of moments in that story that I'm not sure were appropriate for small children. So there's a part about a worm where I don't think you were talking about an animal, and it didn't sound huh? uh, sounded like a bit Wait, much. So maybe was, for, uh, what happened to this dog? Is he still writing books? Oh, the dog is. You know, well, he's 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 great and big and fat, and he's somewhere uh, just having the time of his life. You know, if I had to think about where he is right now, I don't know. Wait, is he real? Um, we, I thought it was a, a character. Well, I, I talked to him when I was writing it, but I haven't talked to him since I finished writing it. So this was like a, you helped him write a biography, basically. Well, no, it was like a thing where he, um, like, um, I never, like, touched him. Uh, uh, he was, like, um, 
I guess it was like a like a person in my head or something that I, I guess I talked to, but like I could, uh, he wasn't me in my head. Oh, so I, he's basically he, from your imagination, but you don't understand what your imagination is. And you think he's another person. Well, what is that real quick? It's basically I, what you're imagine- saying is what it is. Well, no, no, no. It's not like I made him up. He was in my head and I was kind of visualizing him in my head and I was talking to him and he could talk back to me. So I don't know if, like, if I I was thinking about him, but he would talk to me, I didn't think of what to say. He just said it. You know what I mean? All right. Like, because if I just thought of stuff for him to say that he said at me, I'd just be talking to myself, which I. So wasn't. it sounds like you're just the dog. No, I'm a I'm a, a Gaston. Uh, I'm right here. I'm a man. I you can see that I I don't have dog features at all. Well, do you? I, no, like I know. Wine? I know, but. It's a metaphor for you. The dog was a metaphor. Oh, I love drinking wine. I drink wine and, every single and do, night and do I fall you, asleep. And uh, do you hate working? Oh, I hate it. I don't want to ever do anything. I don't even mow the lawn. Well, I think that this is what Mason is saying is that basically the dog is you and you imagined if it was a dog instead of a person. But other than that, it's just autobiographical. Well, like I never met the dog, so I don't think it could be me. But imagine if instead of dog, it said me in the whole story okay then it would be it would be a it would then the story would be about me and what do you think of the story then i mean i think it's still good if it's me i think it's kind of like uh so am i mr brown or am i the dog well you're the dog well i made up both of them i talked to both of them like not talked, you know what I mean? Like not a phone call or nothing, but it was in my head and I talked. It was like I pictured them saying stuff to me and then I would say stuff, but my mouth wasn't even moving. So this is all thought stuff. It's all thought talking. You know what I mean? Like on the computer or something. I don't know exactly how it works, but it was it was it was there and it wasn't me because I'm not a dog. Okay. Well, maybe why don't, uh, why Mason, don't we um, maybe Mason the- would like to read another uh, I have a last one. It's a bit older. Um, I was really into, well, a number of different things at the time when I wrote this. Um, I was especially into DiSorono. And I would go and I would uh, just go to a nice, you know, just a nice little, uh, just a nice little, uh, uh, just a nice little post. And get a uh, nice sticky drink. Get I some like DeSoronos. Very uh, sticky. I would go through about 14 DeSoronos and write. And, um, <clears throat> Wait, 14 you know, bottles of DeSorono? No, you know, just a drink. Like, just, you know, like, but okay. like, two, but a th- like a three finger pour each time. Um, this one is called Boogers Come From Me. <laughs> Boogers Come From My Nose. I make them myself. Boogers are in the nose. The nose is neighbors with the mouth. If a booger wanted to move to the mouth, that would be okay. You know, that one might seem a bit juvenile to adult readers, but it's all true. I mean, I, I would imagine, you know, whether you're whatever kind of DiSorono you're drinking, you know, whether you're having a nice DiSorono fizz or an you know, an endless Dolce Vita or, you know, any of the, you know, classic, of course, you know, any kind of like Italian liquor variety. Well, I like you know, a special edition. Fresca is like my go-to. Well, you know, I like the diesel. There's a new diesel edition, uh, De Sirono that, you know, the bottle looks like jeans. It's super it's cool. It's for like motorcycle people, I think, which is really awesome. 
They yeah. have like some no. some like like Stone Cold Steve Austin like promotes it or something. No, I know. I know a lot about D Serono, you know. I know. I've given you many bottles on your birthday. <laughs> I know, and I drank them all. I'm just letting you know that I know. Now, D Serono, when you were writing about it, did you make it up first and then you drank it, or did you drink it first then make it up? I, well, I don't think we have Wait, time what? for that. I wasn't writing about D Serono. Yeah. I think we have time. Clearly, I, I don't think that he was paying attention to the substance of that uh, that book. Well, it was about boogers and stuff, which I could relate to because I often have problems with my boogers. You know, Winston's always mad. He calls it the booger wall that I put all my boogers on. And I'm like, well, how'd your nanny let you in here? You know? <laughs> well, I have a, uh, I have an old copy of um, Stephen King's The Stand that I've never been able to get through. But what I would do is I would keep it up by my desk. And when I needed to wipe a booger, I'd open up the middle of that book and just wipe it in there. Mm, so it became part of the story. Well, no, I was just using it like it's like a tissue paper or something like Oh, okay. we got to cut Which all this. This is gross stuff. But why don't we get on to another another story here? Well, I think the children listening will appreciate that part. But um, yeah, I've, I've got one more here. This uh, Mason, you and I were both commissioned by a publisher who will remain unnamed to write a few children's stories to perhaps get young readers into more sophisticated writing. Again, I'm not going to, um, you know, I was only paid to write the story, so I'm not going to do free promotion for this publisher on the show. I'm just going to read the story. I think that, uh, you know, like the, the, the fun is the main part of this story and you won't really be too bothered by the product placement. I think, um, I had to use my, my pen name, silly Dr. Crazy man for this one, because I didn't want to put the name PB sandwich directly on a commissioned story. But this one here is the obstreperous sales beagle by silly Dr. Crazy man. Blueby Boodle was a blue beagle dog. He doodled and scribbled in his journal log. He dreamed to be a famous New Yorker writer. With his pen and pad, he had many an all-nighter. To impress the staff of his favorite publication, he decided to sell subscriptions across the nation. The hallowed pages that had brought him such elation, he would now share with people in many locations." Silly Stevie Sue was a silvery seagull who did not want a New Yorker subscription from a beagle. I will not buy your publication, said he. Just leave me alone. Just leave me be. Blueby Boodle would not take no for an answer. After all, the New Yorker was a brain enhancer. How could this silly gull with wings of silver not want to read a 10,000-word profile of Nate Silver? <laughs> I think you're making a big mistake, said Blueby Boodle. If you don't like the words, you could read the funny doodles. Or reviews of New York City's finest noodles and strudel. This magazine is the whole kitten caboodle. I will not read it, said Silly Stevie Sue. As it stands, I already have enough reading to do. I will not read it on the train or in the vestibule. I will not read it while, I don't know, riding a mule? You're making a mistake, said Boodle the dog. You won't find analysis like this on any old blog. They profile both heroes and demagogues. Plus, the talk of the town is hardly a slog. If you subscribe now, you can get six weeks free. Not bad for fiction, satire, and commentary. Lest you forget, there's also free swag. Because if you order now, you'll receive a free tote bag. 
Stevie the Silvery Seagull was now in a rage. I will not do it. I will not read a page. Not a review of the Broadway stage, nor a profile of John Cage. I will not read a piece about the decline in median wage. I will not do it on the F train. I will not do it in Manhattan. Plus, <laughs> Condé Nast does not need their pockets fattened. And you mentioned to me a free tote bag. I will not tote it. I will not read this rag. Then Blueby Boodle did something strange, hoping silly Stevie's mind would now change. Blueby read aloud a piece from David Sedaris about a Christmas memory that he had once cherished. The prose was so funny that silly Stevie smiled. By this magazine, he had been beguiled. And it turned out that the commentary was actually quite incisive, which Stevie found refreshing in a political environment so divisive. You see, said the Beagle, this magazine is grand. So much news and analysis in the palm of your hand. Basically, they like to analyze the news granularly and release their work 47 times annually. This is amazing, the humbled seagull said. I will read it at home. I will read it in bed. I will read it knowing their reporting is not discredited because it's rigorously fact-checked and copy-edited. That's right, said Blueby Boodle, the Blue Beagle pup. This magazine is really smart, and that's what's up. Wow, that was that was really good. Yeah, so that's a is that real magazine? Um, it's up to you to decide, I think. But it's basically just about a dog talking to a seagull, so it's it's pretty fun. It's about the New Yorker, which is the best magazine in the world, and we are hoping that they will recognize our work and also publish our work within their publication. It is a dream of ours. We've talked about this for uh, a decade, and we would love to work with you if you are listening to this. Anyone from the New Yorker, thank you. Yeah, I'd like also say the highlights magazine. Thanks for putting my best hide and seek spots. It wasn't a paid gig. I wrote in, <laughs> and it, you know they they put me as age six, but I'm I'm 33. So if you uh, if you're if you work for Highlights Magazine, that six year old was 33, and it's me, and I'd love to work for you. Well, I think um, if you guys don't have anything else to read, we are going to be trying to catch Sean Penn. He's going to be doing a live reading of Curious George over at Cupping Concept. So, oh my god, we got to get over there. Yeah, before he bites a kid, you know. Yeah, well, he picked that up from Curious George. <laughs> well, you know, it, it, it's one of those things. That, you know, actors they they pretend, like you know how they pretend to be different guys. Yes. Yeah. Well, sometimes I think they they pretend too much and then they do crazy stuff. I think that's what's happening okay. here. Well, I guess you're not at risk of uh, ever doing that because you don't seem to know what imagination is. But okay, yeah, that's fair. I guess we should go. Yeah, I guess we should. All right, let's get out of here. I guess we'll uh, we'll close that up. I wish Winston was here. I gotta close this red button. I'm not sure which one it is here. Um. Oh, well, you know what? I'll just have Win- Winston's going to edit this for me anyway. So I'll just tell him to, to cut it whenever. Uh, yeah, thanks for joining in today. My name is Gaston Silverton. Check out the dog who didn't want to get a job. I'd like to thank my two co-hosts, PB Sandwich and Mason O'Hare. Uh, guys, you want to say goodbye? Thank you for listening and always read. Good night, Moon. Good night, Moon.